Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org hardcore podcast coming your way. Episode 173, Rolly Winkler coming your way, guys. Really unique and fun guy. And we're going to do a podcast on him, Steve Schmee, and the mobster from across the pond, the UK Iron Day. Ready to hit it? This guy's probably got the biggest arms, the Dutch beast. They smashed this one out of the park. He's been a force in professional bodybuilding monster for the past decade since earning his pro card. He's got a monster physique, 24 inch arms, five foot six, 295 pounds. So he's my height and he's 295 pounds at his peak. So he's an absolute beast. One of the biggest bodybuilders of all time. If you take his height into consideration, there's been a couple other big guys who are five, 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 six but he is one of the top, I think probably easily the top, top three. Spends his off season in Curacao, Curacao, however you want to pronounce it, in Amsterdam with his family. It is a Dutch island. Amsterdam is the mainland. He does a lot of training in Kuwait at the world famous Oxygen Gym, which we talked about on this podcast before, where a lot of pro bodybuilders hang out and train at. And that's where he focuses when you're in contest mode so i think in this situation you've got your family back home when you are really prepping and you want 100 focus on bodybuilding it's good to get away from everything and just clear your mind and that's kind of what he likes to do and that's it's kind of like a retreat it's kind of like a resort retreat you just go for a month and just focus on bodybuilding you're with other bodybuilders you eat you train you sleep and you slam your ass with steroids. So we're going to get into the steroid talk later. I'm going to talk about his competition. So he was born in 1977. As I mentioned, it's a Dutch island off the coast of Venezuela and east of Aruba. Who wouldn't want to live there if you love boating and fishing and all that stuff? In fact, Curacao, Curacao is, is known for its coral reefs, its coves, its beaches. It's a 170-square-mile island. And has a population of 150,000 people. As a youth, he was a gifted athlete. He was doing very well at gymnastics and bodyweight exercises. He took an interest in bodybuilding, competed in numerous amateur shows, and he placed high. As a teenager, his arms continued to grow. He didn't even need to isolate them. That's how good, and he admits this, his genetics was. In 2004, he was involved in a car crash, crash that almost killed him. While in the hospital, he realized that he had to take advantage of his genetics and get more involved in bodybuilding. There also was another incident where he had a motorcycle accident. So sometimes life events make you think, hey, life is short. I've got to take advantage of things ahead of me. Anything to add, Monster, before we get into this competition? Yeah, I mean, this is one of these guys who's, I mean, we're going to get into how he trains and his genetics, especially 
and even the fact that he seems to be one of his guys that needs the... In fact, you talked about it already, so I'll, I'll touch on it. He seems to be one of these blokes that does benefit from being isolated in that, in that particular way, like a monk, which we've discussed in previous podcasts, from his family, from his friends. He seems like a very social guy when you see him with his family and friends, goofing around with the, with the kids and the cousins and whatever. I think when you looked at his stuff, which you're going to touch on in a minute, training uh, with a very good Dutch coach called Grandma, who's a former uh, competitive bodybuilder herself, there are early clips of him from a couple of years ago where it's just just him and her and he's like sharing a flat and she's there all the time or she's real local. And so he's one of those guys that needs someone on him, pushing him, isolating him, no distractions, whatever else. And he, he seems to take coaching very, very well. And in fact, the closest person that me and you just done a podcast on recently that's kind of similar with, with the form, et cetera, uh, in his in his way is is uh, Nick Walker. So there's a few guys out there with Nathan Diasha, which we've also talked about having um, going away, and he's benefiting probably the most if you look at the physique. He's benefiting the most from his training in Oxygen Gym in Kuwait. Yeah, back to you. So let's get into how he got his pro card. So he spent the rest of the 2000s focusing on building his physique training really, really hard, put a lot of hours in the gym. Unfortunately, his lack of understanding nutrition hampered his improvements where he wasn't ready to turn pro. So to get through this, he hired the best trainers in the Netherlands to help guide him and help him improve. In 2009, he reached his goal. He won the NPC Arnold Amateur Championships. It made him officially a professional bodybuilder. Next year, he won the 2010 New York Pro. He got seventh at the Arnold and 14th at the Mr. Olympia. The next year, in 2011, he finished second at the British Grand Prix, second at the Mr. Europe Grand Prix, and third at the 5.0 Power Pro Germany. Over the next two years, he competed in over a dozen major contests, finishing top 10 in all of them. He was also 12th at the 2012 Mr. Olympia. 2013, he won the IFBB Chicago Pro and the IFBB Nordic Pro. His other Mr. Olympia placings, he got 12th in 2014. He got up to 7th in 2015, 6th in 2016, and 6th in 2017. The next year in 2018, that would be his banner year. He won the IFBB Arnold Classic Australia and EVL Prague Pro. He also finished third at the Mr. Olympia, just behind Sean Roden and Phil Heath. It was really close. Rowley had 27 points, Heath had 17 points, and Roden had 13 points. So it was a very close top three finish, and some thought that Rowley was the best bodybuilder on stage. So it was really, really close. Mobster, tell us all your thoughts on that one. I, it's a shame he, uh, he he almost got it. I'm going to jump in here just for a second as well. I think something that happened around that time, uh, and he wasn't the only person that was struggling with this, is the is the guys weren't controlling their stomachs. They weren't controlling their guts. And Arnold made a particular point at that time of saying, listen, we need this to change. You can't have your belly hanging out and talk about, you know, being a, 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 even an open-class bodybuilder, as big and as heavy as these guys are, as freakish as they are, they need to look a certain way. And, of course, 
with more people using their phones, you're getting those side shots, and the guys are flexing their back, they're doing a rear double bicep, and their stomachs were sticking out. And Rowley, for whatever reason, was one of the worst examples of this. He had this world-class physique, and you know, you kind of almost want him to do better. These huge, huge arms, these absolute freak of freaks. The off-season photographs of Rowley, that was probably one of the things that didn't that helped a little bit in and, and hindered him in a way. He had off-season photographs underneath what um Nick from Strength of Power calls the goon light and the shots of him, I think it's the oxygen gym bathroom with uh, Ashkar, his coach, taking his photographs and you go right there, bang, that's it, it's game over, he's going to win. And then they come on stage and not look as gnarly. They come on stage and his stomach will be kind of flat, but there'll be no abs popping and all the rest of it. And then I said, those photographs taken when he is competing with his stomach sticking out, kind of fucked him up. So what he did to improve, as you'll see, as around that time, and I think, again, there's an interview where he's being seen with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I believe he'd done real well in that particular competition, and Arnold's interviewing him, and he literally went away and spent months and months and months learning to control the stomach, learning to keep it tight all the time. You've got guys that use them, and, and female athletes use waist trainers and whatever else. It's also one of those things, Steve, that you and I talked about in previous podcasts, and, and all top competing bodybuilders are going to struggle with this. And it's literally that combination of, it's, it's, it's timing. You want to be, it's no good looking great in the gym, underneath the bathroom lights, in the mirror, with someone using their mobile phone. And then on stage, underneath the spotlights, not quite hitting, not quite being on point. This year is a bit different, and you're going to get to that in a minute with the COVID stuff and the restrictions and not being able to travel and not being able to hit it. But the, those those two years, there was kind of no reason. It was literally looking amazing. Dennis James, looking amazing, looking amazing, looking amazing, then on the day, not quite having the detail. Coming out and certain shots, looking out like an absolute monster. He's one of those guys in silhouette walking down, you think it's game over. And then you'll see the detail on other athletes. And then you start to say, well, Rod is a world-class athlete for sure. But these guys have got him. He's got the detail. They've got that little, the little extra oomph in, in the things. If it was like, you know, someone was to get a tape measure out and measure his arm, it's game over. But that's not how bodybuilding works. They're not taping your arms. They're not saying best triceps. And of course, even Rowley himself said, if it was down to just me having the best biceps, I'd win. But unfortunately, it's not. And it's, it is like that. I meant, let's, let's, Steve, let's not fuck around. None of us. Myself especially, even if I consider myself a strength athlete, not a bodybuilder, I would not struggle with the idea of having his physique. Um, he's just an absolute monster. But he, 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 it's, it's the, the thing of, right, now I've got your physique, can I win the Mr. Olympia? And right now, and as you're, as you're detailing, wasn't quite that detailed, it wasn't quite that polished. He's brought it once or twice, probably a little bit like when we've done, we've done the podcast on Remy. Rami not quite winning the mystery Olympiad over those two, three years. You're thinking, and everybody was saying, drop five pounds, drop 10 pounds. Rowley's there. Rowley's one of those guys. You see him in the mirror, you think, amazing. You see him on stage, another five pounds, another four pounds, a little bit more detail. And that was what was holding him back. Back to you. So, you know, it looks like for Rowley, that probably was his closest chance to win the Mr. Olympia. Yes. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but now he's, you know, he's approaching his mid-40s now. So he's born in, in 77. So he's about, what, 43, 44? Yeah, he's got a couple of young, young guns that are right there with him now. And I think those guys are moving forward. And Rowley, 
he has a chance, but the two young guns, and we've done podcasts on these guys already, Nick Walker and um, Hunter Labrada, they're both there or there. Nick especially is probably very similar physique in his way to Roley. And those guys have got another two, three, four, five, six, seven years. Who knows? And they're only going to improve. Nick Walker, especially right this minute, as we said in the pre-show, looking like an absolute monster in the off-season. Roley's there. But will Roley get that much better? No. I don't think he needs to grow. He doesn't need to have any more size. He, he needs to come in drier. This year was a bit of a fuck-up, and we'll get to that in a minute. But those two other young guns, they're coming forward. And there's no reason for them not to improve, no reason for them not to get better. And that's what he's up against. If those guys, top four, top five, as we already know, they're taking Rodis' place. They're pushing him down to six. They're pushing him down to seven. And, of course, it's, again, a condition thing. There are other athletes, smaller, maybe not as young as, as the two that I've just mentioned, that have got the condition. And this year, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this year especially, right? What happened is he had the same problem with Rami with regards to restrictions, with regards to COVID issues, with regards to illnesses, not being able to travel, <coughs> getting back to us out and then not being able to get back to oxygen not being able to get underneath the coach that he was with and so on and so forth and it showed he ended up having to do a bunch of competitions to try and qualify for the mystery olympia and that wasn't quite working either and it literally came down it's going to be one of those last minute things was he going to get in wasn't he going to get in that is not what you want to do you've got to give him nick walker again nick nick has pretty much done all he needs to do to go to, and he's literally said he's not going to compete until the Mr. Olympia. If he doesn't have to qualify, he won't. And, and, and unfortunately, Rowley had that situation where that wasn't, the, that wasn't the case. He had to do a bunch of competitions. And if you're at his level, we know this, and you're trying to be absolute world-class, you cannot compete. Some people can, but most people can't. I know I can't in the stuff that I've done in the past. I cannot do four or five or six competitions and expect to be at my strongest. And that's when I was at my best. The same opposed to Rowley. If he's on the wrong side of 40, like Steve says, then you can't go, well, I'm going to do one competition and qualify. No, well, I have to do another competition. No, third competition. How the hell are you going to, your, your conditions meant to improve when you're as huge and as muscular as he is? It just, and then you've got to travel, you've got to go to a competition overseas, you're getting into it. Travelling alone can put water on you just on the plane. Uh, you're not with your coach then, you're not underneath the goon light in, in Kuwait gym, you're just, and that's what he struggled with. And he, he himself has said, in all honesty, I didn't do as well as I should have done, next year will be better. I know where the mistakes that I made, I know what the issues were. I've just covered them, Rowley knows what they are. If he can get it together, if he can stay in one place, again, that might mean more months in Kuwait, Steve. It might mean more time away from the family. But is it a price he's willing to pay? And he'll just travel from there to America, get a qualification, win a competition, get instantly enough points that he can compete in the Olympia. He's had invitations in the past, but can't be doing that. Boom, straight in. Then just do the Olympia. Just focus on coming to Vegas as it's going to be this year. Just work on that condition bring everything together. It might be his last roll of the dice as well. And again, that's down to the age that Steve's already mentioned. Back to you. Yeah, so let's just clean up what happened after 2018, which was his banner year where he almost won the Mr. Olympia. He got third place. So the, the next year, 2019, Mobster fifth place in Mr. Olympia. So he fell back a little bit. And then as Mobster, Mobster mentioned, the next year, 2020, was a disaster for him. He opted out of the Arnold Classic 
he said to spend more time with his family, which is understandable, but he was gearing up for Mr. Olympia because of the pandemic. He had to skip 2020 Mr. Olympia because he tested positive for COVID-19 while he was en route to the United States. Next year in 2021, he came back and competed in six competitions. He got second at the IFBB Europa, Europa Pro, second at the IFBB Yamamoto Pro, and he yep. fell all the way back to 11th at Mr. Olympia. So he is definitely trending in the wrong direction. Um, so we'll have to see if six he can competitions jump back. Six, six competitions. That's, that's basically what's happened there. He's not a guy that gets better. There are one or two individuals in the top 10, top 20 where, and I've seen this a couple of times, even in the strength stuff, where you do just enough to win. And I mean just enough. And then the next week they're better. He's not one of those guys. He 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 he's gonna get worse. He's got more traveling, more points, more stress. And can you imagine? You've done four competitions and you still haven't qualified. The stress, and we know that again at that level, stress is enough to your film of water. Stress is enough to sort of ruin your physique. Stress is enough to stop you feeling out. It's it's as simple as that. Six competitions, Steve. I used to do well on if I did one, maybe two a year, and that's again for my strength stuff. You have to be able to, the smaller guys, I'm going to say it's the smaller guys, the, the 200 pound and under, they seem to be the kind of guys that can do multiple competitions and it not fuck them up. Huge, huge guys, as big as a house as he is. It's, if, it, it's one of those guys that one or 2% off and doing six competitions is enough to make it a lot more than one or 2% makes a difference. He's not one of those blokes that benefits from more competitions from posing on stage longer, et cetera, et cetera. Just not, and then the traveling and the stress and the aggravation. And like I said, maybe being away from a coach, family. Again, he's a family guy, very sociable. So again, more time away from family, more time away from your friends, more time away from goofing around, et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and chilling out and relaxing. And those cortisol is a stress hormone as opposed to the serotonin, et cetera, the feel-good hormones. He's a guy that not responding that well to all of those things but six competitions steve now nah, he's just worn out if he can do it in 2021 2022 where he's not killing himself not stressing qualifiers real early then we might see a different role in 2022 on the olympia stage the next thing we're going to talk about his social media two million followers on instagram that's pretty big very yep. popular lots of videos of his training posing and goofing around my favorite post he made is of him posing, and I, I'm going to link it if you guys get a chance to read the article uh, on this podcast and on about Roly. Uh, check out his Instagram page. He's got a lot of cool pictures up there. So several brands that he reps, Monster, Yamamoto Nutrition, yep. Nibia Fitness, and Rider Wear, among others. So he's definitely um, bringing in some cash, and he's definitely living the dream as a professional bodybuilder. So good for him. I'll drop back in here again, Steve. He does it exactly like we think it should be done. Uh, we, you and I have talked about social media multiple times on his hardcore podcast. It's a perfect combination, in my opinion, of pushing a product, for example, why they wear shoes. And then the next photograph, as you say, there'll be a picture of him or a video of him uh, running a motorcycle up and down. There'll be uh, next day, it'll be uh, a Nebia wear uh, clothing. And then the day after that, there'll be a picture of him with a cousin, a niece, or a nephew. Uh, sleeping, sunbathing, goofing around on the beach. It's, it's, it's the perfect combination. And that's the reason why it probably works for him in terms of 
Instagram making money and getting sponsorship. And at the same time, it's family orientated. It's friendly. You, I touched on it before. It's up there with The Rock. The Rock has his shit down and he's got 100, 200 million followers. And you will see pictures of him or videos with him with his, with his young daughters, you know, and wearing makeup and singing along to cartoons and whatever else. And then you'll see him pushing his uh, tequila or you'll see him talking about uh, the latest movie that he's doing. This is one thing that Roly has it down pat. Not everybody does. I've just mentioned a name earlier on, and whose YouTube especially is absolute god-awful at the minute, and that's Hunter Labrada. Hunter has literally taken over doing videos on his own channel when he was working with his dad, uh, Labrada Nutrition, and they're great professional videos. Hunter's taken it over, two videos in the last four or five months. Whereas uh, what we're looking at here is a guy that's taking time out of his day to promote products for his sponsors, and then putting family stuff up, then putting friendly stuff up, then putting sociable stuff up. As you say in your article, seeing um, from in the gym, intense, hardworking, to a real guy, a nice guy, a teddy bear, most of the photographs, most of the videos that you're talking to, you refer to, is smiling big time. There's no angry face. He's not upset. He's not moody. He's not patient. It's just aggravating stuff is him having a good time and relaxing outside the gym back to you well i'm going to send it back to you mobster get into his training this is training something i thought was really important right but this is kind of a thing he's got probably the world's best triceps and i've seen a few of his videos i've even screenshotted a couple of ones where we went for my for myself on my phone as a sort of a motivational thing for myself the guys on the forum talk about my leg training or whatever else, like it's a big deal. Funny enough, Roly is super, super strict. He's done a great video collaboration with uh, Larry Wills. And Larry was ever so slightly off on the forum, possibly down to the fact of the arm wrestling style training. So he hooks up with Roly, and Roly was strict. I mean, real, real strict. Perfect form on curls. They were doing something. I think it was a sort of a alternate dumbbell thing. One of the things that Roly himself has mentioned, and it stuck in my mind, and I made a note of it for the show, was he said, listen, my triceps are much a result of my doing tricep kickbacks. He says, and I see guys throwing weights around all the time. If you look at my videos, you'll see me doing kickbacks with 50 pounds. But again, it's perfect form. Nick Walker, I mentioned already, really, really strict. Zero injuries to date. And this is what we're talking about here. So the other thing which I want to get to with regards is training again, the there's stuff like drop sets. One of the great advantages of working out of the oxygen gym again is there are guys that at that gym, and you can see it in one of your training videos of his shoulders, uh, where all they do is they carry around sprays to wipe the equipment down and they spot you. That's pretty much what Rami's job was back in the day, what they call coaching in oxygen. Most of the guys don't coach. What they're really doing is they're changing the weights for you. They're spotting you. You've got actual Ashgar, et cetera, et cetera. Those guys are coaching you. So he has that. You've got, I mean, look at me. Again, I, I joke when I'm doing the leg press that it's half a workout for me, loading the damn thing up and then stripping the weights off right after, especially when I'm training at a commercial gym and not at my house gym. So if you've got someone who's loading the equipment and unloading it for you, if you've got someone who can strip the weights off for you when you're supersetting, when you're drop setting, when, when you're pumping or whatever else, then that's half the workout done. Then you throw in the fact that Roly trains with almost 
perfect form on pretty much every exercise. And it's specifically, as I mentioned already on those triceps, perfect, perfect form. Re it must be super painful, Steve, real hard on the muscle. And look, look, he looks like those arms, those triceps are amongst, if not possibly the best of ever. And I'm saying that from the whole of the sport and history today. If someone comes along with better triceps than him, then they're going to be a godly. In terms of his overall physique, I've seen him training legs. Good form, proper depth. Uh, these are decent poundages. There's nothing to muck around there. And again, yeah, it's, people look for secrets. They look for shortcuts. I don't think really Rowley has any secrets. I don't think he has any shortcuts. Perfect form, good weight, sometimes heavyweight. But that perfect form, getting a great contraction. When you've got, again, I mentioned him already, Larry Wills. Uh, there's a video just come out with uh, Ronnie Common watching Larry Wills lift. And on several of Larry Wills lifts, you've got even Ronnie Common saying, he's stronger than me. Well, I've watched Larry training with Rowley. And as I said already, the form with Rowley was that much better. It was like a lesson in how to do the lifts. And look at, as, as Steve has said already, 24-inch arms with moderate weights, it's just super strict form, great contraction, the size of a house. Who, and again, at the height that he's at at all, anybody else that we can think of, Steve, that's had bigger arms, and I think that maybe, again, Ronnie, Ronnie's taller. Rowley's a short guy, a short-ish guy. 24 arms on his height. Sometimes it looks like they've been paint-shopped. Sometimes it looks like they've been morphed. And it's sometimes just a camera angle, but more often than not, it's just because his arms are so damn big. So, yeah, back to you, Steve. His diet, guys, uh, six times a week, usually eats. He eats a lot of food, a lot of protein. His favorite muscle-building foods, oatmeal, nuts, eggs, broccoli, fish, chicken, bananas, rice, and green vegetables. I'm sure he gets a lot of that back in Curacao, fresh. Um, oh, yeah. South, yeah, that South America, well, islands, sometimes it's harder to get food, but South America, they grow a lot of the stuff and they raise a lot of the stuff and it's really, really good quality. However, Mobster mentioned this earlier in the podcast, overeating has gotten him in trouble before he's coming too big for competitions. Many industry insiders that I've looked at say, if he can control his diet better and focus less on size. And, and, stick, and stick to being more trim, he would have done better. So tough to say, you know, in 2018, he could have maybe won Mr. Olympia if he had controlled his size a little bit more, just a, just a little bit more. He had a great opportunity in 2018. And that was, that may have been it. That may have been his one shot. Do you know what, Steve? And this is a thing, right? I mean, you can actually make money being a freak. I mean, Tom, I'm, I'm thinking, for example, Tom Black's quads, the amount of seminars and, and, and uh, posing exhibitions he did back in the day when he had those legs and to a lesser degree, those calves and even a decent upper muscular body. Uh, you know, he probably was making as much as the guys that were winning the Mystery Olympia, if not more sometimes. And there's been blokes like that before out there, athletes out there where they're being, um, Victor Richards is again, someone who never won a real big competition, goes and gets to Mr. Nigeria, gets his pro card, comes back, he was making serious money. And if you had your head on right and you market yourself right, you can do real well. So what I suspect has happened here, and again, the Goonlight stuff applies from earlier on. When you are a freak of freaks, and he is a freak of freaks, 
there's an element where maybe everybody's going, oh my God, you're an absolute monster. You're just crazy. Oh my, it's like a cartoon. I can't get my mind around it. And there's pro and it's got good sponsors. And then maybe, maybe, maybe what happens, and we've seen it before with other athletes, you don't quite bring everything that needs to be brought in order to win the big show. It's all well and good. I mean, I'll give you an example, right? He would probably do perfectly well winning a couple of middle competitions, the Europa Pro, et cetera, and then come over to the Olympia and get fantastic market and fantastic sponsorship, good deals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, being in the top three. But if he's not, if he doesn't do that, then he's, we've seen him struggle and we've seen him have to work a lot harder. And that might be the issue right there. 2020, 2021 was god awful for every athlete. And we, I think we saw that reflected in all of the Ziggs, not just Rowley's. Rowley's one of those guys you want him to do well. And I mentioned Dennis James earlier on. Dennis was famous for having great photographs when he was training in Thailand, taken outside of the gym in a string top and right in those pictures in the gym, it was like game over. This guy, why does if you could just look like that on the Olympia stages and win, Rowley's like that. And maybe there's an element of it, Steve. If you can imagine it, you and I, whether it's for strength or for bodybuilding purposes, we were absolute monsters. We were world-class strength athletes, world-class bodybuilders. The guys on the forum, every time we post, we're going crazy. Every time we put a picture up, we're going, oh, my God, Steve, you're a monster. You're this, you're that, you're the other. There's an element then sometimes that you get lazy. And I mean it because you're not having to train as hard as anybody else. You're not having to grind. You're not having to force feed. You're not having to take tons and tons of PEDs. You just are that size. You are that strength and so on and so forth. If he's losing 50 pounds to get those triceps, everybody else is out there slamming, trying to do 100 pounds, 120 pounds, whatever, to catch him up. It's kind of maybe a thing where you need to kick up the ass. This is why I go back to grandma when he was being touched in, in, in the Netherlands and Ashkar over in Kuwait. He's maybe one of those guys that needs to have someone really put, don't be fucking lazy just because you're a freak. Eat your damn food. Train as hard as you motherfucking can. He's probably one of those guys. It needs that extra one or two percent of a push. And if he doesn't get it, this is where we get the, oh, my God, if only he did, he would be in third place. If only he did, he might win the Mr. Olympia. There's probably that element right there, Steve. It's, I won't say it's easy, but it's, it's easier than it is for a lot of other people. Because it is, maybe you need someone to push you that little bit more, that little bit harder a little bit more of an edge. It might even come down to the PEDs, which we're about to address. It might even be something like that. And again, Rami was guilty of this as well, where everybody was going, if you come in on stage multiple times at 300 pounds, looking like a monster and not winning the Olympia. And then he went down. I think his best prior to winning the Olympia was probably the New York Pro, DL right up into the groin on the top of his legs, world-class legs. Chris Aceto talking about coming in at 275, coming in at 280. No one cares if you're 300 pounds. If you look world-class, you're going to win the Mystery Olympia. No one's putting you on the scales. No one gives a shit. It's that kind of situation. I think this applies to Rowley as well, where it doesn't matter how big his arms are taping out. We just want to see Rowley bring that condition. Let's get into the PED, Steve. Maybe that's the issue for him. Maybe, maybe he's not doing the crazy shit everybody else is doing. Maybe he is. Maybe he needs a little bit, you know. Maybe he's doing Esther's at a too long pre-competition, so he looks amazing in the gym, pumped to hell, you know, just straight off the weights, and then doesn't do that on the day. Let's talk about those now. 
Yeah, and to be that huge at his height requires yeah. tremendous genetics. I mean, he weighs almost as much as you, Mobster, and he yeah. is a yeah. half a foot shorter or more. So you have to have amazing genetics. You have to have the diet. You have to have the training, and you have to have the steroids. So if one thing is just a little off, that can be the difference between first place and third place. Yeah. So the laws in Kuwait are very loose when it comes to steroids. This could be another reason why he likes to train in Kuwait. So he can yep. train there. He can use steroids legally with no problems. It is likely he's on some very heavy steroids during the season. So you know, we can speculate on what he's using. I'm going to go through a couple uh, things that, you know, it's possible he could be using. And uh, the first one, testosterone propane, 1,250 milligrams a week. And with this one in the off season, you can go ahead and, and, and slam the propanate, the testosterone propanate. But then when you get closer to competition, of course, you are going to turn it off. The other one, 1,200 milligrams a week of trembolone acetate. Trembolone is amazing. Uh, some people react incredibly well to trembolone, both, you know, whether you're in the off season or you're competing uh, leading up to a competition. It just depends on the person. So Tremblone is an absolute must. If you're not using Tremblone at this level, then you're not at this level because everybody at the Mr. Olympia who is competing is using Tremblone. It's, it's the absolute nectar of the gods when it comes to steroids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just – it's the difference between even qualifying for Mr. Olympia and not in this yeah. situation. So – Twelve million a week—that's that's torture. Side effects are brutal on Tremblone, but you got to do it. The guy next to you is using it, so you got to use it at high dosages. And then of course, the HGH insulin stack—twenty IU's a per day of HGH, twelve IU's per day of insulin. When you eat that much food, as he eats, you can go on his Instagram and find some um, food videos that he's been in, or any any pro bodybuilder at that level who who weighs in the high 200s, you got to eat a lot of food. But the thing is, when you eat all that food, does it get partitioned the way you want it to be partitioned? So when you're running Tremblone, HGH, and insulin, those three together, those three make that food more effective. So that meal with all that protein and all those good fats and all that carbs to get it shuttled into the muscles, to feed the muscles, to get that effect. Trembolone helps. HGH, you take the HGH, your blood sugar shoots up. You take the insulin, you take the insulin, um, and then you eat your food. And that insulin helps drop your blood sugar down. It will drop your blood sugar down. It doesn't help, it does. And then what happens is when you eat your meal, your muscles become like a sponge and it soaks everything up. So it's an absolute must. Now, if you're a normal guy and you use lots of insulin, you're just going to get fat on it. But these guys, they have the genetics. They're using these drugs. The correct ratios of these drugs are using the HGH. You must use the HGH with the insulin or you will get fat. That's, that's the secret to using insulin. So at the end of the day, the genetics, guys, the genetics plays a huge role here. I've seen too many people use insulin and just get fat. Don't do it. There's no difference than just eating a bunch of crappy food and 
bunch of sugar and, and, um, and eating a lot of sugars every day, cakes and cookies and ice cream and all that stuff. Yeah. You're going to get fat. Well, it's with all that insulin that your uh, pancreas is spitting, spitting out. So that's their secret guys. You got to have this, this stack There's a method to the madness of, of using insulin. If you use it wrong, it will ruin your physique. So even pro bodybuilders, they can ruin their physiques on insulin and it's very difficult to reverse it back. So you have to be careful. You're a budding pro. And I'm going to talk about one more and then I'll bring in Mobster. He's going to talk about some others. Master and propane. I have to talk about master and propane, a thousand milligrams a week. We talked about how trembling is important, how HGH is important, how, how can you not think that Masteron is important as well? Because Masteron is a hardener. It's a straight DHT derivative. So it basically, its job is to harden, its job is to bind to sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG. It makes your entire cycle better. It hardens your muscles like a rock. And you notice pro bodybuilders, their muscles look hard as heck. And Masteron is a big reason why. So with propanate, you can be flexible. You can start and stop it. You can move the dosages around. It's got a shorter half-life than Masteron and Enthate. Remember, propanate, Masteron propanate has historically been the only thing that's been available farm grade, human grade. There was no, there's no such thing as Masteron Enenthate unless it's an underground lab producing it. Mm. So guys have always been using propanate, but it's the flexibility of using propanate instead of Enenthate is what they like. And as a professional bodybuilder, the worst thing that you can do is run Masteron and it's really something else because Masteron is an expensive, more expensive steroid. So what if you're using Masteron Enenthate, but you're really using testosterone Enenthate? You really screw yourself. So the Masteron Propanate, you will know, hey, this is the real deal. And this stuff hardens you up. I was, I've been running Masteron before Mobster, and I uh, can remember I went and got a massage. And the massage lady said, She's like, you have the hardest muscles I've, uh, I've ever felt in my life. They're hard as rocks. So at night, it feels like you're sleeping on rocks because that's what Masteron does. So great steroid for professional bodybuilders who are lean. If you're not lean, Masteron does nothing for you because you can't exactly. harden you can't harden up muscle if it's covered by fat. That's right. I'll, so, I'm going to go, jump in here, Steve, and then I'll deal with the last three. The comment that Steve just made there, is something that I've mentioned a few times on the forum, and I'm not the only person. The moderators, of, a few of the moderators, including Steve himself, have mentioned this, right? You get guys come on and they talk about fat-burning steroids or fat ones, ones that are going to make you lean. And the reality of the situation is, and I mentioned this exact line the other day, right? If a top professional bodybuilder with the best genetics, the, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% in the whole fucking world has to diet, has to do conditioning, has to do cardio, and then they use what we call a fat-burning steroid or whatever else. If they have to do all those other things to get into shape, why do you think with normal genetics, even if you've got slightly better than normal genetics, that you don't have to diet, that you can take this drug and you're going to get lean? It doesn't work. You need to be lean. You need to work on your diet. You need to do your cardio. You need to do your conditioning. And then these drugs with the genetics, especially when you're at Roly Winkler's level, will have the desired effect. The following three drugs are exactly the same as Masteron in that particular regards. They all 
what I would consider for, for him polishing. I, I, one of the drugs, Anavar, for example, I like for strength. Don't put on much weight when I've used it. Typically, I'll, because I'm not trying to get bigger or heavier or whatever else, I'll gain five pounds on cycle, but I'll get 10% stronger, which is a lot at my level. And then I'll come off I'll, and I'll lose the five pounds. Now, of course, I've addressed how to maintain your gains, but I'm not trying to get bigger. I'm not trying to get heavier. But when I'm using ever, I am temporarily trying to be stronger for a reason, whether it's a bench press or a squat or deadlift or grip competition or whatever. Now, equipoise, at his level, and Steve has addressed this in the article, we're, we're not talking about moderate dosages, guys. And again, it's a competitive bodybuilder trying to be the best in the world. So we're talking about a 1,000 milligrams, sorry, 1,200 milligrams a week of equipoise. And again, you have to have all your other things in place, all your other stuff in a line ready, and then equipoise, like the Mastron, can do its magic. The same again with Winstrol. Winstrol is a drug, multiple uses, but in this, with everything else that we've already mentioned, 200 milligrams a day, that's still 1,400 milligrams a week. That's a lot of equipoise. And against, sorry, Winstrol, and it's basically adding the polish, it bringing the detail. But again, he's still got the diet. He's still got to do his cardio. He's still got to do all those things with world-class genetics for Winstrol, at 1,400 milligrams a week, 200 milligrams a day to do its job, to, to, to harden up, to get him lean, to have him on stage show ready. And the last one, again, which I just touched on before, and again, it's still a lot because it's 200 milligrams a day. And again, it's probably for short periods of time, especially as an oral. And again, Winstrol can be used as an oral, even in its liquid form. Uh, is one of the things that's been mentioned in bodybuilding where you tr keep on training hard. So that'd be useful here for Anavar as well. And keep on trying to use the weights that you load to the bar that you're using on the machines that may do that big, that may do that muscular. And Anivar is one of those drugs that can help you hold that muscle, help you keep that strength. And so you're doing the same stuff that got you that big as close to the competition. Literally, maybe, Steve, in the last week, 10 days, maybe 14 days, you might have to back off from pounding the weight super crazy, super hard and whatever else. That'd probably be a good time to get some photographs done as well because you're going to look crazy pumped in the gym. And again, I referred to that earlier where Anavar would, one of, and especially 200 milligrams a day, would be one of those drugs that would be great for that. My preference, for example, uh, regardless of how big and strong or whatever else I'm considered to be, I'm, I'm not anywhere near 200 milligrams a day. I think we're talking about 40 or 50 milligrams a day for me, and that works just fine. But then again, I'm not a competing bodybuilder. I'm not trying to hold muscle and look a certain particular way. Roly is. Now, I'm looking at all these drugs, and I touched on it earlier, it's one of those things where... I don't think this is a million miles away from what he's really doing. It's probably very, very close to it. And it might just be a case of the stuff that I've mentioned already with regards to traveling and stress and all the bullshit that's for 2020, especially. But also where these kind of numbers could be tweaked a little tiny bit or taken out or put in at the right time to produce the result on top of the diet, on top of that less stress than before, on top of less traveling to produce the ultimate Roly physique. It's one of those things you kind of bob with Roly. You want him to look a certain way. And you wonder if it's stuff like this being manipulated. A good example from Oxygen Gym again, which other uh, podcast pundits have talked about, 
and they said that one of the things that sometimes seems to happen with the athletes who can look amazing in oxygen, can look amazing underneath the bathroom goon light, that there's a possible uh, accusation being made that they keep their athletes too full, Steve, that they, 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 and they don't get lean training at oxygen. And again, Rami is a great example of this, that he made the right decision, for example, last year, and I believe already he's doing something like that this year, to train under Dennis James. The difference between arriving a few days or a week or so ahead of time versus two weeks, three weeks, four weeks ahead of time, and that produced a Rami winning the Mystery Olympia physique, working with Dennis. So it might be one of those things, Steve, where this is the issue. Pharmaceutical quality drugs with the regulations that you've already mentioned in Kuwait, but keeping their athletes too full, keeping them fantastically pumped and, and vascular in the gym, but not allowing them the right drugs, the right uh, cycle and, uh, and manipulation of these things in just the right way to produce a show winning, a competition winning physique. It's all well and good being the absolute beast of the gym, but we're not getting given $400,000 for looking good in the gym. We're getting $400,000 for winning Mr. Olympia on stage. And that's where these things matter. And that might be what we're looking at with regards to cycle manipulation, stress manipulation, getting qualification ahead of time and so on and so forth. So that's what I think is possibly what we're looking at here. Does he, and you touched on this earlier on, does he have enough time? Is age against him? Yes and no. The, we know that the Mystery Olympians, specifically, I think, the Sean Roden, may he rest in peace, being 40-odd years of age. Chris Dickerson has also just passed away, being 40-odd years of age, when he won back in 1981, and also rest in peace. These guys were very, very close. I mean, Chris especially, towards the end of what we would consider that they'd be a peak for man's physique. We know uh, the younger guys are coming up. The average age does seem to be around 30, 35 in terms of winning. Rowley's past that, but he's still got a world-class physique. It's one of those things we might still have it in him, but maybe, like I mentioned already, he needs to drop staying so full a la oxygen in Kuwait style and bring us something a little bit different, a little bit harder. And it might come down to what we've talked about when it comes to performance enhancing drugs, a little bit more of a manipulation. Maybe there's stuff that's standing there too long. Maybe he's holding a little bit too much in the cells. Maybe it's just literally he needs to do more hard, more dieting. And maybe, it's like, again, Rami's a good example. Again, maybe it's one of those things where he just needs to flex and flex and flex. Rami, we, we talked about it in podcast before, under Dennis, four, sometimes five times a day, 10 minutes at a time. So it, maybe it's just something as simple as that. Maybe it's just squeezing out the water. Maybe it's just getting that film from underneath the skin. And it might come down to adjusting the dosages. On here, for example, you mentioned it already, reducing the amount of test prop, manipulating the trend, and then keeping the other stuff there. It might be taking out the insulin a little bit at a time. We haven't mentioned them here. It might come down to something as simple as maybe it's not someone that gets on well with diuretics. Maybe there's an issue there. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, my opinion is, um, you know, just going back to a couple of your points you made earlier in the podcast, I think that, you know, you're right. I mean, his image for sure, um, he's he's who he is. He's um, comes off as a goofy, cool dude, like who likes to joke around, looks to have fun in the gym and stuff. So 
you know, that's his personality. And perhaps, like you said, him doing everything that everyone else wants him to do, trim up and all this stuff, it may not necessarily want him Mr. Olympia. We don't know. So you can make that argument. Like he's, he's won enough competition. So you can't really say that he did anything wrong or he did anything right. He is who he is. So he doesn't have to win Mr. Olympia to, you know, to make a good living for himself and be, you know, a top end bodybuilder. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, but I mean, look, I mean, he's, look, he's mid forties. I mean, he's was born in 1977. So, I mean, he's approaching the 45 year old Mark. So he's but running out of time. So one, I, Steve, yeah. I, just, I watched a video yesterday and it was to do with uh, the guys that had the best calves. And there's a bloke on there that some of you might remember, unfortunately, another fella had passed away. Um, Mike Matarazzo. Mike Matarazzo had some fantastic arms, especially biceps. I've seen him in seminar and some fantastic world-class calves. And in fact, this is the point of that particular video. But I also recall him saying that his dad, who was in a wheelchair, had world-class calves. So the genetics was sure was there. Now, Mike, like Tom Platts earlier on, became famous without winning, getting into magazines, getting features, doing videos, traveling around the world. Like I said, I see him in seminar myself at King, a, a, a hall at the back of King's Cross Station in, in London. Uh, very a, a great guy in terms of his personality and very, very uh, popular as Rowley's been, I think Rowley's also won one of the uh, People's Choice Awards where the audience votes for their athlete that they they like the most, even if he's not the guy that's going to win the competition. I think Rowley's won one of those. And Mike Matarazzo was exactly like that. He'd come on, he'd have rock music going, he'd stick his tongue out like the lead singer of Kiss and he'd flex and he'd go up and down the stage and work in a crowd, but he lacked something as well. He, he had that kind of flat thing going through the midsection, which I've already mentioned with Rowley. He'd flex a certain way, and you go, oh, my God, he's a monster. He'd flex another way, but then you'd put him against someone, for example, in this day and age, Phil Heath, and instantly Phil wins. Instantly Phil wins, because Finn's got, Phil has everything, all the detail, all the aesthetics, except 3D stuff. But Mike was smashing it. He was traveling around the world. He was making the money, and there's an element there. I'm not saying this is exactly the case with Rowley. I'm saying there's a possibility. When you are a world-class freak, with the genetics that he's got, with those arms, people are going to... This, this is how fucked up this shit is, right? To prove the point. He could turn up to an event in this country, where you live, Steve, over in Florida, in a vest top, in a tank top, with the, the, the shirt right up to the neck, right? With just his delts, his biceps, his triceps, his forearms on display. He could be wearing a long-ass pair of shorts right the way down in the mid-calf. And people wouldn't complain. They would go to see him just for those arms. They would go to watch him train just for those arms. They would pay to go to a seminar just to see those arms. And that's how freaky those arms are. So that possibly might be one of the issues. It might be that he's not pricing as high because there's an element of not, not, not needing to, not having to. And because you don't need to, because you don't have to, especially because you don't want it that much. If someone's giving me, for argument's sake, $100,000, $200,000 a year, just to have these amazing arms, and they're requiring that I compete, I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. 
We like to train. We've got these world-class arms. I'm getting $200,000. I've only got to go to a competition. It's great if I win, and there's probably a bonus thing there in my contract for me, but I don't need to. And again, like it might be one of those really bizarre things where that little bit lack, where you almost need it in your soul that you want to be driven to win. And even what you touched on just now, when I said something earlier on, when I talked about, you know, smiling and, and, and laughing and being with the family stuff, it may almost be that he's not quite hungry enough. We, we've touched on this as well. And this is important, not for Roly, but for, for a lot of guys. You almost need something the matter with you mentally. If you've got this great situation, great life, etc., outside of the gym, you kind of need something fucked up in your head that drives you to do stuff that no one else has done. Whether you're an Olympic weightlifter, as, as has just happened recently, putting up world-class clean and jerk and a world-class snatch front. All, both those two were records. His total together was an all-time record, and he looks good for more. The idea for him to throw over his head in a clean and jerk, a weight that most of us can't even deadlift, even world-class athletes can't even deadlift, is mental. He has to have something about him that drives him the hunger to be at that level, to do that, the risk of injury if that weight comes crashing down and break his wrist, never lift again if his back goes, et cetera, et cetera. And this applies to motorcycle riders in the races and Formula One guys when they're cutting a corner tighter than anybody else, when they're coming out of a corner faster than anybody else, when they're one inch away from the other guy when they're trying to overtake. There needs to be a, an element there, a kind of almost craziness, a risk, if you like. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's something as silly as Roly's such a nice guy, so easy to get along with, so sociable outside of the gym in the ways that we've described. And because he kind of has it easy, because he has the genetics, maybe there's something like that, just that, you know, that extra 1% of fire in the gut that's not there. And, you know, again, 2020 screwed him up anyway. So, I mean, he's brought it. We've seen him bringing it. But does he have something, that little bit extra, just enough, that little bit of craziness that will take him that extra one or two percent? And then suddenly you've got him standing next to another athlete and they're the last two. And one of them's getting the Mystery Olympia title. That I would like to see. I would love to see an in-condition, a Olympic, Olympia-winning Zeke on Roly before he retires, before he takes his foot off the gas. I'd love to see that because with his genetics, with his freakiness, with his shape, with his size, that the numbers that we've already talked about, with his ability to be coached, we'd like, I think, I don't know about you, Steve, but I think there's something there that would love to see what that would look like on his frame. To see that sort of, oh my God, that's it, Roly, you're never going to get any better than right now. You're just fucking like, it's like someone's waved a magic wand. Jesus Christ, what did you do? And that, that would be cool. It might be a one-time deal. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just that, you know, that that happening would produce a single win for him because it's so hard for him to get into that mind space. There are guys I, you and I have competed with, athletes that you've coached, where if only they had that kind of thing going on in their brain, they would take their game up another level. And I've tried to light that fire in certain athletes' bellies. I've tried to work that for other people. Sometimes it's been to my advantage where someone has not been as crazy or as fucked up or stupid or whatever you want to call it as me, and they've had to take second place while I've taken first place. I think I've talked about before 
wanting uh, telling someone who claimed they were going to kick my ass in competition that I would bleed before they would beat me and that ended up being the case and I won I bled I won they didn't bleed they didn't win and maybe it's like that you you kind of need I don't know what do you think Steve do you need that kind of hunger that craziness that willingness to go that little bit further than anybody else you think sometimes it's specifically if you're if you've got the advantages he's got and maybe it's almost too easy for him would you reckon yeah, I can make I can make that argument for sure. I can make that argument. It's definitely there's a lot of men, mental mental aspect to it for sure. There's a lot of mental. So I mean, I want to see this is what I want to see here from Raleigh. I want to see him improve from last year. That's because the last it's been a disaster. It was just 2018. Yes. 2019, he got worse. 2020 was a disaster. 2021, he fell back a lot out of the top 10. I want to see him come back into the top 10. I think that would be his vindication. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to get top three or even top five. Just come back into the top 10. I think, I think that would be his uh, vindication. So we'll have to see what happens. So keep an eye on, on uh, 2022. And, um, you know, it's going to be a fun one for sure. So final thoughts, Mobster, and take us into the uh, disclaimer. So there's Rollies out there. One of the things you can learn, guys, and I've touched on it already, Before, if you do nothing else, learn from Roley's super strict, super focused training when it comes to his arms. I'm as guilty as the next guy of throwing around huge weights. And that's because I'm a strength athlete. That's because that's my thing. I'm not trying to produce world-class arms. And so I'm throwing around two, three, four times the weight sometimes that Roley is. Here he is, on the other hand, producing world-class arms, regardless of his genetics, with strict, focused form. So there's your lesson for the day. Do it better and get better arms. Do your triceps better. Focus on your biceps. Visualize like Arnold. Do whatever it is that you need to do and take it from Roly. You don't need huge weights. You need good, proper form with decent weights and you can produce world-class arms. Right. As always, please note, we are not doctors, and the opinions on these podcasts are hours and hours alone. It's our view based on experience and views on the topic. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment of the